0: Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work, a desire for always learning and improving, and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hey, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week I have drafted in the one and only Tom Fleming. Tom, I want to thank you for joining me for because we've been trying to set this up for a while.
1: yep, I was just gonna say that well, thanks for having me and I'm glad we finally uh connected and we were able to uh you know get this going
0: so Tom, why don't you introduce yourself and all of the myriad of things you've been involved with over the years?
1: Sure, okay, so um. You know the dream started like most uh like most artists At you know nine years old and uh i went to syracuse university uh got my bfa uh graduated from there and went uh immediately started showing my portfolio i live i lived right outside new york city so um, started showing my portfolio immediately in manhattan and um, started doing illustrations uh for alfred hitchcock's mystery magazine little black and white illustrations uh they pretty much paid me about a hundred bucks a pop and uh (laughs) after you know commuting into new york and the whole thing it was pretty much working for free but um as a freelancer you got to start somewhere And then from there uh, i answered an ad the new york times and started immediately working for the uh, world wrestling federation now the wwe designing costumes logos doing their event uh illustrations merchandise illustration the whole thing and did that for uh in-house for about four years and then continually worked for them as a freelancer from my studio for almost a decade pretty close to a decade, then uh, things got a little kooky there with scandalous type stuff as the wrestling world uh, is uh, known for and was uh, introduced to some editors at DC Comics trading cards through my buddy Dave DeVries and started doing DC trading cards, went from DC to uh, Marvel And, you know, pretty much the uh, the nine year old uh, kids dreams started uh, actually coming to fruition. So um, I've done, you know, as a freelancer, um, all kinds of stuff in between that, uh, you know, trying to get my foot in the door with all like I, I cross over into many, many genres of uh, wildlife I, I've done. I've done Magic the Gathering, World of Warcraft. I flip back and forth between comics and the gaming worlds. Uh, heavy metal magazine, uh, you name it. It's And then started doing my own uh, series of fine art illustrations, doing some gallery work started a yoga mat company. So it, it just, you know, it's the total life of a freelancer and, uh, you know, you know, focus and ambition is, uh, is crucial in this world. So um, I, you know, I'm very fortunate that, uh, that it's gone the way it has with its struggles and, uh, and successes. So, you know, here we are and uh, we could talk about, any one of those worlds, whatever, uh, whatever you're interested in, kind of diving into,
0: you know, I, it, this is one of those things that I think everybody kind of gets interested in. we've, we've sat around some of the different places like, Oh yeah, you got, you started, you know, you started playing in world wrestling federation, you know, you started playing with, with the wrestling world and costume design and all that kind of stuff. What was that world really like for you working in and playing in? Well, art, it was sport uh, entertainment. I'll, I'll call it that yeah exactly um
1: well it was it was a it was kind of a surreal situation because when i uh when i answered the ad in the new york times they did not say anything about that they were the world wrestling federation they just were looking for an illustrator and i don't remember exactly how the um how the uh ad uh was written but it was very generic and so when I went in for the interview, it was in Stamford, Connecticut. I lived in Long Island at the time, and it was, a good, it was a good hour and 15 minute, hour and a half commute without traffic. So I was going in kind of just to feel it out uh, because my career was, I was actually working at a pizza shop, flipping pizzas at the time, and then working here and there at advertising agencies. So I was pretty much open to anything, but had no, um, no plans of commuting back and forth from Long Island to Stanford, Connecticut, um, you know, as a regular thing. Uh, answered the ad, walked into the building and, you know, quickly noticed that there was wrestling posters, wrestlers hanging up, up and down the hallways. And as I'm walking down the hallway to go to my interview... Tom Platt's the legendary bodybuilder walked by me and I kind of took a double take because, uh, you know, I was, I yeah, I was familiar with that world and, you know, kind of, I recognized him. And I was like, huh, that's kind of odd. Uh, you know, and I went in for my interview and quickly found out that it was not an advertising agency doing the marketing and promotion for the WWF. It was actually the WWF. And, uh, I was, I don't know, 23 23 or 24 years old at the time. And they um, put me on a a two to three day trial of like, let's see how it goes for a few days working in-house. The two to three days quickly went to two to three weeks. And then the two to three weeks became uh, (laughs) pretty much working regularly nine to five and sometimes longer uh, for almost a decade so uh it was it was kind of a strange thing uh because i was not a wrestling fan i knew nothing about wrestling and here i was absolutely thrilled to be making a living and they paid me very well at the time um making a living doing art and that was the that was the goal at the time just you know, do art every day for a living and get a paycheck, and kind of prove, you know, all the uh, the naysayers wrong that uh, you know artists, you know, art, you know, artists starve and it's you know impossible to uh, make a living doing it, all that kind of stuff that you know people tell you. Right. So you know, I worked in a cubicle nine to five, uh, had all kinds of different responsibilities, and they started small and you know, quickly grew, uh, to the point where I was doing, um, actually creating the costumes and designing the characters for, you know, for, you know, for characters that are now in the hall of fame. And, um, it was, it was kind of interesting not being a fan and doing it as a stepping stone to try to get to Marvel and DC and fantasy, you know, doing, you know, I, I, my, my big aspiration was to be doing paperback covers and, um, and, uh, you know, going from there, doing the realistic type of fantasy type, you know, kind of hard. Um, so it was kind of strange working in a situation that uh, I wasn't, super passionate about, but it was a a fantastic job. And what happened was I stopped working there and 30 years later, flash forward to uh, COVID shutdown, and I needed a way to compensate for the conventions uh the income that i made from conventions that were shut down so i started kind of target marketing on facebook and other other social media and lo and behold when i started sharing the work i did for the world wrestling federation it became this unbelievable opening a can of worms of the wrestling world had no idea that i did what i did i had no idea the impact that i made and 30 years later uh it you know i was getting fan mail from all over the world podcast uh invites from ireland england australia um, fan mail from india and it became this thing like oh my god i created these characters in the golden age of wrestling that i had no idea how beloved and um how people embrace them and now it's becoming this huge thing fans are talking about starting a pet- petition to get me into the hall of fame and it, it just it became this snowball effect that was just unexpected and absolutely wonderful so um life is ironic where you know i wanted to make this impact with comics and um just in general and the biggest impact that i made in pop culture was actually for in the wrestling world Uh, so you know i keep you know i keep my hand in a bunch of different genres uh but i'm back doing wrestling stuff these days. uh, I did a big NFT project that, you know, that's a whole nother story, but yeah, it's um, the wrestling, the whole wrestling thing 30 years later has come full circle. And um, I can't say how grateful I am for the uh, wrestling world and the appreciation that they've shown me.
0: So in other words, what you're saying is being a, being a creative artist and making a living at it, is a straight line, no luck was involved, and absolutely that sheer random thing of stumbling into the right place at the right time had nothing to do with it at all, right? It, <laughs> it,
1: that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, life is so ironic. Um, you know, the random ad that I answered, you know, there's. I, it makes me question how many other ads or opportunities did I kind of just let go by Where it could have, you know, where it had this had such an impact, and it, you know, in the big scheme of things, but um, yes, there was it was a full combination of being at the right place at the right time, having a very strong work ethic, you know, quite frankly, working my ass off to get my painting and hand skills to the level of, you know, where. I can work for these you know uh you know worldwide companies and um and maintain the position Um, but it is it has a lot to do with being at the right time at the right place and then capitalizing on that opportunity
0: so looking at the things that you did from those days and designing those characters and, you know, playing with the idea that they really are characters They're, it, it. It's very physical, but it's, it's still that blend of the physical and acting. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're basically an actor and a stunt man all in one, playing the role, playing the act and working the scripts. Right. So, and I mean, I remember, and you do too, all the argument about it's real, it's fake. And everybody <laughs> wants to argue about what, what's real, um, but from that perspective, what did that teach you about getting ready to actually dive then into comics and Marvel and DC and a lot of the, the other things in those spaces? Well,
1: okay. So that's the whole, uh, entrance into the comic world was another, uh, kind of unexpected turn of events so when i was in college my focus was fantasy art i was very photo reference based i was very i loved turning realism into fantasy and i was you know pretty much focused on wizards dragons uh you know manipulating reality into into fantasy with the work i was doing at the time and had absolutely even though i was a huge comic book fan as a kid and as an adult, I really didn't think I had what it took uh, and didn't have expectations of, of uh, working in the comic world. Um, So, you know, the dive into it was, Working at the World Wrestling Federation, things started getting kind of kooky with the scandals. They started laying off all, you know, the company just started really struggling. They started laying off all the freelancers. I saw the writing on the the wall, and uh, my buddy Dave DeVries said, hey, listen, I have a uh, gallery opening in Manhattan. If you come down with your portfolio, I'll introduce you to my uh editor Sean Taggart and you know no promises but uh we'll see what he has to say so I did that um I'm never one to say no to any kind of opportunity uh I was very hesitant and skeptical and a little bit fearful of what I was going to hear from an editor at DC you know being you know in my early to mid 20s and went down there, and it was one of those things where I showed him the portfolio. He looked at it. He said, uh, well, your portfolio is full of a bunch of wrestling stuff and a few fantasy pieces. Uh, it was kind of a don't call us, we'll call you, as far as I was concerned. And about two weeks later, they said, hey, we are." Uh, I heard from him, uh, got a phone call, and he said, listen, we are struggling with the artist." that is doing the Superman card for the DC master series. And uh, if you want to take a shot at it, if you can get the face, right, you know, that's what he was struggling on. uh, The project's yours. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. You know, uh, Superman is my, is my uh, introduction into comics. And I pretty much put it dropped everything and just did about, about 10, 15 different superman faces faxed them in and i'm you know aging myself here with the fax thing um and they immediately got back and said hey this this face looks fantastic the the project's yours it's a superman card it was during the death of superman and you flip the card over and it's going to be doomsday so i was i was honored and fortunate enough to work on the Superman doomsday card for the DC master series as my introduction to the comic world. Um, Because of my lack of comic work in my portfolio, they said, you know, we're going to, we see the talent, but what we're going to do is we're going to have Kerry Gamel do some thumbnail sketches for the general poses that we want. And you can work off his thumbnails um, on the, on the uh, actual paintings. And which is what we did the i finished the superman painting walk you know went into dc at the time i drove it in i you know i didn't uh, ship fedex or do it there was no you know computer the computer age really was um you know young and there was no emailing in files that kind of thing so i drove the painting in and went to mike carlin the, the editor of superman's office he was on the phone he didn't even like get off the phone. He was literally looking out the window, turned around. Uh, Sean showed him just held up the Superman painting and he nodded his head. Yes. And we walked out. There was no conversation or anything, but the, um, the, the fact that it got approved that quickly and that easily was, um, was a huge feather in my cap. And then they had the confidence in me to, uh, give me the actual death of Superman trading card, the Doomsday trading card, and um, the Fall of Metropolis trading card for the following Superman Man of Steel trading card set, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. I showed it to Marvel, started doing X Men trading cards, and um, and then trading cards became a a huge thing for me. So it was kind of like a dip, toe dipping, not a dive into the comics. Um, And it took, you know, it was a process of building confidence with the editors and art directors. And, you know, you start off, you know, with, I started off with Superman, which was just a, you know, fortunate turn of events. But from there, Marvel started giving me very obscure characters and they were like B and C list characters. But, you know, the joy of working on Marvel projects and get my foot in the door there, uh, was, you know, was, was the, the dream. And I didn't care what characters they gave me. It, um it was just a joy to work for them. And then eventually it became, you know, painting some of the biggest names in the business. So um yeah, it's uh, it was the goal and I can't express the gratitude and, the um, gratefulness I have to be able to say that I I lived the dream of of the nine year old kid uh, that I was, you know, back in the day.
0: Looking at that period of time, because again, too, if we if, if we look and talk about comics now, I mean, with the films, all the properties, all the things that it's grown into, I have that idea that you did some of the foundational stuff that has created this period. I mean, you would never have known that. Cause I mean, Marvel was struggling in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DC was struggling some in those days. There was a whole lot of, where is this going to go? Right. Because the idea of comics IP, you know, game development really hadn't come around to what it is now. You didn't have, I mean, you had Saturday morning cartoons with, with a take on it. You had just a lot of IP that nobody knew what to do with. <clears throat> yep. And I mean, We saw these trading cards and creating art. When you look at all of that stuff for that period of time, did anybody that you were working with even have a a fathoming idea as to where this thing would be going?
1: Uh, You know, no. I mean, the wrestling world, yes, they are already huge. And, you know, at at the time that I started working for the World Wrestling Federation, Hulk Hogan's face was more recognizable than Mickey Mouse um, worldwide. But with the comic world, yeah, you're correct about the struggles Marvel was going through, and at the time, uh, there was—I don't believe at that time there was any successful uh, Marvel's superhero movies. Um, the closest, I mean, geez, it was—you know—there was some, there was some really, really weak uh, superhero stuff going on uh, in the cinematic universe and dc you know dc had some success with the superman um christopher reeves stuff but no there was there was you know they were filing for you know chapter seven i think it was chapter seven not chapter 11 um to re you know construct and this and that and then when that first x-men movie came out um it changed everything it was like um you know the world. You know all of a sudden, comics were n- not the main thing. Comics were just a, um, <laughs> a, a a means of promoting and advertising the movies mm-hmm. and the merchandise. So yeah, it just exploded, um, which is fantastic because it was a little scary between the struggles of Marvel and also the rise of digital um the computer age and being a traditional artist i was extremely fearful that uh my career was facing extinction of like oh my god if i don't learn digital art uh i might not have a career so between the struggles of the actual uh you know the genre and the changing of the the medium it was pretty scary for a while
0: you know let's actually touch on that a little bit because i mean we see a lot of change going on right now right with all the ai generation yeah a lot of questions about ip you know there's a lot of that stuff that i'm drug into kind of on both sides of it at the moment but there's a lot of people I, I know and I've talked to not only from writing standpoint, but, you know, artwork standpoint that are really saying the world is ending. It, it's killing everything. You know, you've been through a couple of, of revolutions now in terms of art, artwork, how that stuff is faced. I mean, I remember as a photographer going from print to, you know, from, from film and being clawed to pull towards digital and and that transition and the idea of what Photoshop was going to do in a lot of things. With your experience of having gone through a couple of very radical changes driven by technology and and everything else, what are you, how are you looking at at this generation of AI art? All
1: right, so interesting. Um, And I just had this, I just had actually had this conversation, uh, brief conversation, but last night with my nephew who's a musician. Um, my take on it is this, personally, I've always been somebody and I tried to be as open-minded and I never, when I was younger, I would always hear the older generations um, always balking at, you know, when in our day, you know, everything was better, this and that, you know, I walked to, you know, we did this and that and you didn't have to worry about and everything was better, you know, when they, when, they were, uh, when they were kids and growing up and adult, blah, blah, blah. I promised myself that I would not become an older person that looked down on progress, technology. There are scary things about it, but I am, there's always positives and negatives with pretty much everything you know and balance is pretty much you know a, bit, a key to life as far as i'm concerned and so going to touching on the ai i do have mixed feelings um, about it there's uh there's a scary there's a scary um, threat to humans not being able to distinguish between reality and something manufactured with this um whether it be a letter whether it be uh an image there's 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 there was in photoshop it was a little different in photoshop when it started, it was so obvious what was computer generated and what was hand painted. And I used to say, you know, put a hundred paintings in front of me. I'll be able to tell you which one was the digital, which one's the hand painting that changed. Now Photoshop is so, so damn powerful that there are people doing magnificent works with texture and, you know, all kinds of like beautiful you know beautiful uh characteristics and elements that are done with the hand-painted stuff and it became just another tool i don't look down on it i'm not a digital artist but i do dabble a little bit i do scan my hand-painted traditional work into photoshop tweak it you know you know uh play with it a little bit and um enhance things But um, I'm not a digital artist and I don't have anything against it. And I don't look down on it like it's cheating, which some people for some reason, you know, look at it like it's a, you know, it, you know, no, it's cheating. And I'm grateful for the um, for a lot of the fans that appreciate the hand painted more so than the uh, than the digital stuff. But really, what it comes down to, is just another tool, and it's just the way the future is always going to be. There's going to be progress, and it's going to backfire uh, to some degree, and it's going to help and enhance to some degree. Um, AI is borderlining at times on copyright infringement.
0: Oh, it's not borderlining.
1: Well... (laughs) Well, this is the thing. Depending on, it's you know the whole scraping thing. It's you know, I mean, Andy Warhol went to, uh, you know, went to trial in court on what was acceptable and uh, you know, was what was infringing on copyright with his, you know, using Campbell's soup and other images of famous celebrities and things like that, and you know. The limited knowledge that I know about the trials and the results was that um, as long as you change and manipulate the image uh, um, enough, a certain percentage, it is no longer a copyright infringement. And if it is used for satire, then there is also a lot of leeway. But a lot of the AI that I'm seeing is not just blatantly ripped off. It's 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 not like I don't see a lot of images that are like, oh my God, this is directly from, you know, so and so. It's literally scraping pieces and then putting together this, you know, this thing that never existed. And while I say do not do not call yourself an artist because you plugged in some prompts and it spit out an image. Um, Don't ever claim that you created that. And, and, you know, you're an artist doing that, but at the same time, there is some beautiful, organic uh, images being created by AI that's quite scary. Um, So Mm. when a copyright infringement begins and ends, you know, we'll see, Um, you know, I mean, what's your take on that?
0: Well, uh, so and this t- ties to a number of projects I'm actually involved in because when h- how we educate AIs and how we educate large language models, how we educate a lot of these these graphical interfaces. Yep. A lot of the lawsuits that are currently flowing through the system right now that are trying to determine what is digital infringement and the accessibility of material to train these to train these engines. Yep. It, I think is going to be an interesting set of lawsuits and cases yes. Um, because what we're now seeing is that the number one thing that needed to be done was used right because the more that they use the more it becomes a blender the more that they learn the less you're able to see and say oh no that is that is somebody else's piece Mm -hmm. and i i agree entirely that it's one of those things of when we look at the idea of derivative law i mean everything is derivative of what's come before it And where I think a lot of it's gonna come from is gonna be the idea. To me, here's what the difference is. Is there is the idea that copyright protections extend to things that are a product of the mind, right? And it's the product of human intervention and human creativity and whatnot. The technologies behind this are protected where I think that there's a difference and we're starting to see some of the legal precedents tend to go this direction is the idea that it's one thing to be a a human student and to pull something up and interpret somebody else's work or do Mm -hmm. something that is derivative. And that's where the Andy Warhol cases come in. I think that it is a very different case where you're educating a tool and a platform on those things. The question is, if you're using something that is currently under copyright, should the artist be compensated? Because there's enough digital rights management work that already exists that says, if you're going to scrape and use that material, those artists should be compensated. And this is the reason I think that there's going to be a new differential interpretation of how we look at this um, in terms of because this material is being used to educate ai's in a way that is is sometimes definitely noticeable and because the mm-hmm. reinterpretation is not going through human influence i think is the reason that we're seeing another reinterpretation of copyright law and i know that's a lot of splitting hairs there but that's the reason i also say that there are some cases here that it will be interesting to see how the digital law gets reinterpreted yeah um yeah you know, i was recently at on a panel like at it um jordan where we were talking about this was somebody who was who started as a paint artist who then became a digital artist who was, was had artwork in the dealer's room that all he had done was generate the digital prompts and i said and we had a heated debate a little bit about that's not art it, it in that sense it is not your art you don't own it and the copyright office has already said so despite the fact he had feelings to the contrary of, well, I'm paying for it. I created the prompt. It's mine. No, it really isn't. <laughs> um, and we, we had some debate about that, but again, I see it becoming a generative tool. That's just another tool in the toolbox.
1: Yeah. Um, just, you know, going back to what you just said. Um, so this is, this is, you know, while you were just, you um, while you were just uh ex- you know saying you know it, the whole concept of um somebody claiming that they that they paid for the program they put in the prompts this is yes it, well it's really no different as far as i'm concerned of googling something and then claiming that that information is yours mm-hmm. it's you're just pulling it from somebody else's database and so I, I i don't even understand how that could be an argument um you know using a program that's being pulled from other people's sources is you know in your as as your biological human brain it's called being inspired or influenced or you know uh whereas if it's a digital thing it's uh, you know it's copyright infringement. So there is, I can understand that there, you know, philosophically there could be some sort of argument, but the fact of the matter is, is that just because you pay for a product, you don't own everything that's produced by that product. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it is an interesting, it is an interesting um, idea of, okay, the brain is basically a biological computer and then you have, uh, uh, a, a, a computer, you know, actual computers that were created from the human brain as pretty much an extension. So where, you know, where does, um, influence and inspiration, uh, stop and copyright infringement begin? it's kind of like, it's going to be interesting and there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of um, debate and argument. And I'm kind of curious to see where those laws change. Um, and it's going to be a matter of percentages. I mean, it has to be. Um, I don't, I just don't see a law ever being like, well, AI is copyright infringement. So therefore you can't use it. That That's not happening. Um, so it's going to be a matter of, God there's going to be so many frivolous lawsuits and there's going to be so many you know um you know people claiming copyright infringement and actually legitimate lawsuits of copyright infringement and just like cryptocurrency just like NFTs there's all these it's going to be controversial and it's going to be ongoing and that's the way life is and that's the way it's going to be so I I don't look at it negative or positive. It's just going to be, it's just interesting.
0: Well, and there, there are some interesting things afoot where there's the potential of being able to use blockchain as a part of copyright to help track and protect these works. Yeah. And that, Um, that
1: could be the positive thing about NFTs, which that's a whole nother conversation. Um, And I just did a big NFT project, uh, but um, yeah. It's blockchain could be a potential answer for sure.
0: Um, and there, there's a couple other things that that I'm involved in that get interesting that I sort of now broaching up on that NDA level, but that's a whole different story. We'll have to talk. We'll have to do a part two just to dive into the NFT work. And it, yeah,
1: yeah, because um, I whole I have a whole big story uh, uh, on the, on a project that I, a, a, w, uh, a wrestling project that I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience.
0: There's, uh, you know, and one of these things that I, I did want to make sure we kind of at least got a little bit on today too, is just, you know, when you look at your career and how you have got here at this point, you know, it, it, because you're doing a blend of working with a lot of other people's IP, as well as a lot of original artwork, you're doing a lot of stuff that's inspired by, you know for example um Neil Gaiman and the Sandman universe and some of those pieces that like are hanging in my house um you know when you look at all of where you've gotten to now and the fact that you know this is you're just really hitting this what I would consider a strong stride you know what do you want what do you want to see next where where's your next big I want this in my career what's what's the next big thing
1: wow it, it, you know my my initial response to that is, is i should have i should have an immediate answer um the next big thing is really um it i'm touching on it right now with these sandman pieces um there's i'm having i'm having um, success with those pieces to the point where people are chomping at the bit, waiting for the next piece to come out. And I want that to be across the board with everything I do where, um, you know, whatever genre I'm working in with my gallery work with, um, you know, with any kind of comic work where I no longer have to work, And I have no problems working with art directors and editors. I actually enjoy it. But there is a satisfaction and a, um, uh, there is a zone that I get in when I'm working on my own stuff that is not being controlled by anyone but me and uh, my own inspirations and where it's coming from so really to answer the question it's like there's i'm going through i'm going through a really interesting time of life right now of kind of an awakening in general of me personally and there's a bunch of things that topics that i'm going to explore and one of them you know just to you know it's a whole nother conversation but um, I'm really exploring the world of psilocybin and, um, and the magic mushroom and how it affects creativity and neurons and, uh, connection to pretty much everything. And this is, um, I'm tapping into frequencies of, and it's getting, I know it gets a little crazy, but, and without explanation, um, you know, it's, it. it you know, it can sound a little kooky, but I'm listening to classical music now instead of my metal and punk that I've been listening to for a lot. And I'm experimenting with a lot of these, uh, a lot of connection. Um, I'm I'm just so, so really the answer is integrating whatever topics and per- really personal and meaningful things in my life and putting them um putting them on paper or canvas or whatever it may, whatever medium I choose and being, having people respond and relate to that um, to whatever degree that they, you know, that, you know, that I'm shooting for, you know, sometimes you think that you've done a great masterpiece and there is no response from, (laughs) from the public. And sometimes you think you have a clunker and you put it out there and the response is fantastic so really it's just about being genuine being um uh being genuine to myself and producing art that is meaningful and uh and and people being able to relate to it i think that's the next step
0: what you're saying is now we got to have conversation two three four i'm just gonna like <laughs> rope you in. we're just gonna make this a monthly for a while
1: <laughs> right yeah yeah it's um i mean I'm um, I'm really, really interested, and in it. it's profound and powerful. Uh, if anybody does any reading or research about psilocybin and, and how you know what what that what it can do for man for humankind, um, you know, it, it, it it's really, really super interesting.
0: There are some really interesting studies going on right now around it with PTSD. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other things as well. Um, so yes, we're gonna, I wanna go just have that conversation. We'll have to do that one just as a is a study in and of itself. But um before we get out of here, Tom, how does everybody find you? Find your artwork, you know, the website, but I mean all the social stuff, what's coming up? Because I mean, like right now, um, other than the piece that you got to ship me next, you know, I think I'm gonna have to pick one in Raleigh, I'm gonna have to pick up a uh, Death. But um, she'll That's have to on my wall. Uh, but how does everybody find you and connect with you and do all the fun stuff? Okay. So, um, you know, it's – I don't do a whole
1: – I mean, my website is always there, which is TomFlemingArtwork.com but i do most of my announcing and interaction on social media which is facebook uh i have the art of tom fleming my tom fleming page uh my personal pages you know they allow you five thousand um friends and that's filled up uh i leave a slot of 10 for art directors and editors and professional but the art of tom fleming on facebook tom fleming artwork on instagram are the two um main social medias and then i have at at Flemart um on uh twitter which i don't do a whole lot on uh and you know as far as you know selling prints and things like that i have my full line of prints uh and um g clays and all that kind of stuff on etsy and ebay and there's a link on my website um if you go to the shop tab uh And, um, pretty much, uh, you know, if anybody has any questions, any, I, I look at everything as I'm in the position. If, since I'm in the position that I'm in with the experience that I have, um, I, if I can inspire or help somebody get to the dream or where they want to be. And it, all it takes is for me to answer some questions and give some insight. I shoot me, shoot me questions, shoot me messages. I don't always immediately respond because of, you know, practical, you know, uh, practical things going on in my life with distraction, with work and things. But I try to respond to every single person that reaches out. So, um, you know, shoot me a message from my website. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, if I can do anything to help anybody, I will.
0: Um, I, I really appreciate it. Sorry. It's taken so long for us to do part one, but now, now to give you a choice, we got to do part two and three and well, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. And we, can, um, you know, by the time we talk next, uh, I'll have a little bit more connection between the, um, psilocybin and artwork of, like, how it's, you know, how it's affecting it, if it's affecting it, or, you know, all that kind of stuff, and I'll have a lot more, uh, a lot more insight and material to talk about.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I know I'll see you again here at the end of July, and then again at DragonCon too, so. Well, we're, I'm, uh, to be honest, I have not heard back
1: from GalaxyCon Con Raleigh, and I'm a little bit worried about it. I do not have confirmation of a booth there, so... I'm hoping they get back to me, you know, soon and, you know, and yes, and I will see you there.
0: Excellent. Well, Tom, I, I really do appreciate it. And until next week, this has been Creating Pros. All right, Jim. Yeah. Good talking.